0: Good morning. morning. Since it's uh, been a while since I've preached regularly, I thought I might remind us all of the Old Testament practice that we usually do every Sunday here. So let me read just briefly from Nehemiah chapter 8. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Then verse 12, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. I thought that was a good reminder, the key word being daybreak till noon. It's been a while since I preached, so i got a lot to say. know, it's interesting how these things develop. Uh, Trey asked me to preach at 10 o'clock Friday night, I had no idea what I was going to preach on, but God had set me up for the decision earlier. On Tuesday night, we had our men's fraternity, and the presenter there on the video uh, defined manhood, and the the definition of manhood was resist passivity. Uh, uh, Resist passivity. Uh, What was the other ones? Resist passivity is the one I was focusing on. Uh, Accept responsibility, live courageously, and invest eternally. And it's a little anachronym, RALLY. Well, the resist passivity is something that I have been trying to do uh, in my feeble attempt to be a Christian man. But uh, that set me up then for the uh, video that we're going to see right now that my wife showed me on Thursday. And this, again, is the process that developed this message. So if you'd uh, watch this video, and this, remind, this guy has a rather
1: high-brow audience. To speak in a lot of venues, Uh, this is my fourth speech this week. And um, I have an opportunity to talk to a lot of people. And I've been asking people, what concerns you? What are you most concerned about in terms of the spirituality and the direction of our nation and our world? I've talked to very prominent Democrats, very prominent Republicans, and I was surprised by the uniformity of their answers. And those have informed my comments this morning. Now, it's not my intention to offend anyone. I have uh, discovered, however, in recent years that it's very difficult to speak to a large group of people these days and not offend someone. You <laughs> know, people walk around with their feelings on their shoulders waiting for you to say something. <gasps> did you hear that? And they can't hear anything else you say. The PC police are out and force at all times. I remember once I was talking to a group about the difference between a human brain and a dog's brain. And a man got offended. He said, you can't talk about dogs like that. But, you know, people just focus in on that, completely missed the point of what you're saying. And um, we've reached a point where people are afraid to actually talk about what they want to say because somebody might be offended. People are afraid to say Merry Christmas at Christmas time. It doesn't matter whether the person you're talking to is, a, is Jewish or, you know, whether they're any religion. That's a salutation of greeting of goodwill. We've got to get over this sensitivity, you know, and it, it, it keeps people from saying what they really believe. You know, I'm reminded of a very successful young businessman, and uh, he loved to buy his mother these exotic gifts for Mother's Day. And he ran out of ideals, and then he ran across these birds. These birds were cool. You know, they cost $5,000 apiece. They could dance. They could sing. They could talk. He was so excited, he bought two of them sent them to his mother, couldn't wait to call her up her Mother's Day. Mother, Mother, what did you think of those birds? And she said, they was good. <laughs> they said, no, 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 Mother, you didn't need those birds. Those birds cost $5,000 a piece. They could dance, they could sing, they could talk. And she said, well, they should have said something. <laughs> you know? And, you know... That's where we end up too if we don't speak up for what we believe. And, uh, you know, what we need to do... What we need to do in this PC world is forget about unanimity of speech and unanimity of thought. And we need to concentrate on being respectful of those people with whom we disagree. And that's when I think we begin to make real progress. And one last thing about political correctness, which I think is a horrible thing, by the way. I'm very, very uh, compassionate, and I'm not ever out to offend anyone. But PC is dangerous. Because you see, this country, one of the founding principles was freedom of thought and freedom of expression. And it muffles people. It puts a muzzle on them. And at the same time, keeps people from discussing important issues while the fabric of their society is being changed. And we cannot fall for that trick. And what we need to do is start talking about things, talking about things that are important, things that were important in the development of our nation. Boy, that charged my batteries, I'll tell you. The
0: uh, resist passivity on Tuesday night, my wife showed me this on Thursday night, Trey asked me to preach on Friday night. So that's what prompted this message, because I think God tells us very clearly, very directly, don't be politically correct, be passionate for Christ. And that's what I've entitled this, PC or PFC. But first I want to tell you a little story I heard about Charlie, who was a recently retired Walmart greeter. Now, Charlie had trouble getting to work on time. Every day he was 5, 10, 15 minutes late, and it bothered the boss, but Charlie was a good worker. He was very good and tidy. He was clean-shaven. He greeted people well, had a big smile. He he certainly exemplified Walmart's older people-friendly principles. But one day the boss calls Charlie into the office and says, Charlie, you're a great worker. I really uh, think you do a bang-up job, but being late all the time is really bothersome charlie said yeah i know boss i'm but i'm working on it trying and uh, the boss says well that's good you're a team player and i appreciate the fact that you're trying to not be late but it's curious i find that interesting that you're retired from the military and yet you're late all the time what did they say in the military when you were late charlie thought a minute and he said well they usually said good morning general can i get you some coffee You know, being politically correct is a, uh, somewhat of a curse. My wife has told me frequently that I have the spiritual gift of contention, and I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I think it's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Are we more worried about being politically correct, or do we want to be passionate for Christ? The next slide will uh, describe that. And then in 2 Timothy, which is the next slide, uh, the message summary, I think, is directly addressing this issue. I think the message, the overview of Second Timothy is that God wants Christians to faithfully stand for truth, even when it hurts Reed being politically incorrect. God wants Christians to stand for truth, all Christians. This is normally considered a pastoral epistle and usually addressed simply to pastors. I think this applies to all of us. And that message, I think, is very evident in the book of Second Timothy. This morning, what I'd like to do is read Second Timothy. Now, I timed myself, and if I don't burp or cough, it'll take about nine and a half minutes. But I thought that was necessary to give you the whole context of what's going on. And then hopefully, as I go through and highlight certain passages in this passage, this Second Timothy, you will understand God's directive to us. Let me uh, read 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him to that day. What you heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus." You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wooden clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the maker, and prepared to do every good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. But mark this. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Jannies and Jamborees oppose Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone." You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." But, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come back, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Troa and my uh, scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against him. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom." To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Manasseh Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus back in sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, as so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Would you pray with me to the author before we go any further? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a gracious God that loves us, are patient and infinitely loving. Thank you you that you sent Jesus to pay for my sins, and thank you for saving me. I thank you that you have brought these folks here together to hear your word, and I pray you'll give me wisdom and accuracy as I proclaim it. Pray that your spirit might draw us close to you, give us boldness, allow us to be passionate for your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, like I said, I think that that book... The message of the book, the overview, if you would, tells us that God wants Christians, that's you and me, to faithfully stand for truth, even when it hurts. I was tempted to put in parentheses, until it hurts, but I don't know as it has to hurt. It's just to stand for truth usually elicits negative response. It's like turning a light on in a dark room. I was actually gonna do that here, but it's not dark enough. When it's totally black, even a small light shines bright. So when you turn the lights on, it contrasts with the darkness. And the light of truth always brings a negative response from the darkness of the world. Jesus Christ came into the world. The world did not want him. They did not receive him. They killed him. All the apostles stood for truth. They were all martyred. It's a a horrendous job description when you're asked to be a Christian. Because that faith-based life is going to be negatively responded to. And I want to look at the message here that we're to stand for truth and not be politically correct in today's world. The first thing the next slide that I'd like to look at is 115 to 12. Because what the message of those verses is that faith-based power, love, and self-discipline leading to shameless proclamation and personal suffering for the gospel. It's not an if, it's a when. Stand for those things and people will, will have a hard time with it. And in my personal own emotional response to my life circumstances, I hesitate to say things because I don't want to be offensive. I mean, I could argue with everybody about everything. I, I, I wonder, well, is this person going to be chased away from the gospel if I say something? I don't want to offend my family member. Uh, I can't really tell this Muslim that Muhammad was a demon-possessed freak when he started Islam. And the history records support that, by the way. That's not my own exaggerated statement. Because I, I'll have an internet... Uh, a mass attack. But faith-based power, love, and self-discipline brings to that brings us to a shameless proclamation of the gospel and we'll suffer for that. 13 and 14 makes a very clear declaration. It says, uh, What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith, love, and in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let me reread chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have learned, heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship. When we were down in Kansas, and none of you guys know him, Will Rempel was a patriarch of the church we attended, a major denominational church and I use his name to give credibility to what I'm saying, he was the master of asking the unanswerable question about the Bible. And when he did that, I'm sure he was saved, he had a good heart, he wanted to serve God, but what that did was it then presented the possibility of not understanding, of God not communicating effectively, and that kind of just chilled the entire Bible study. It came up with the fact that, okay, we don't know whether this is an objective or a subjective genitive. Is it the faith of Christ or faith in Christ? Okay, it doesn't make any difference, really. So why make that question and cause everybody to question the reality of God's successful communication? The message of Timothy, he says that God's message is specific and knowable and transferable. And he's going to tell us even in the next slide, I'm sorry, no, not the next slide, slide after the next one, that we should study that message so we can know it well and be approved by God. But in the next slide, it's verses 8 and 10 of chapter 2, it specifies the gospel message that Paul was suffering for. He says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained. The death, burial, and resurrection is most definitely the definition of the gospel. But the gospel message includes the entire Bible. He'll go on to explain that in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, all scriptures inspired and profitable. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, freedom in Christ, the antithesis of legalism is specifically stated to be part of the gospel message. The gospel is not just the death, burial, resurrection. It is including the entire Bible, which is why I put that up there, because a lot of us think that the gospel message is simply, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Yeah, that's the gospel, but it's much more than that. It's all the teachings of the New Testament. Now, when we get to chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the next slide, it says, don't argue, study hard. Now, I spent a long time in school, uh, I think something total like 13 or 14 years. 10 of those were full-time students. And in that time, that's exactly what we did. We argued about subjective, objective, genitive. We argued about the dele- deleting yod. We argued about whether or not it was a, 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 a faith of Christ, faith in Christ, whether it was a contingency, whether it was a subjective, or whether it was the object of the verb. We did that. They taught us to study the Bible. And that carries over into real life. And it took me, how long have I been out of seminary now? Since 91? It's took me this long to get over that. It's not something that I think is the focus of God's message. He tells us not to argue about words. Instead, personally, you, Herb Flankman, each one of you, study hard. NIV, RSV, and ESV say, do your best. NASB, be diligent. KGV, study. The Greek says, be zealous or evil. Take pains. Make every effort. All of you folks that work whether you're working in the home or out of the home at some employment you've worked very hard to make your money I spend a lot of time picking imperfections out of my paint and polishing it to make it look slick Uh, do I work that hard at knowing the word do you work that hard at knowing the Bible studying so that you're approved not ashamed See, that requires it to be a knowable message. God would not be a righteous, holy God if he told Herb, you've got to obey this book, but uh, you could have a couple of interpretations. This is what it means to you. This is what it means to me. That's your opinion. That's my opinion. My kids come home with that from college. It drives me crazy. You know, it's not something that's not knowable. God has successfully communicated. He's the omnipotent creator God of the universe. Now... Because of that reality of successful communication, he concluded chapter 2 with something that is a very frightening verse, if you think about it and, and include the details in your, in your uh, evangelistic outreach. Teach those who disagree gently. Why? Because they are trapped by Satan in false doctrine. Let that sink in. Teach people to disagree with you. Disagree with Paul. Pauline uh, epistles are what's specifically addressed. And it's, of course, expanded to the entire text of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired. We'll look at that in a minute. If they disagree with you, they need to be reasonable and do it my way. <laughs> right? That's what God's saying. Be reasonable. Do it God's way. Because false doctrine is entrapment by Satan. So, when we, and I'll have an article here in a little bit about some Islamic uh, things that are going on, but when somebody tells you that we're all worshiping the same God, that's a flat-out lie, folks. Muhammad and the Islamic God is not Elohim of the Old Testament. There's no way you can make that float. It's wrong. You've you got the spiritual guts to stand there and tell them that? That's what we're supposed to do because they're trapped by the enemy in false doctrine. Now, the point that I struggle with is how far down that spiritual ladder do you let that trickle? Does that mean if you don't agree with my view on, on uh, tribulation, you're trapped by Satan? How about the rapture? How about anything, Calvinism, Arminianism? I mean, you know, there's, there's got to be wisdom in the way you reconcile this. Personally, my own thought is that those issues are explainable understandable through scripture Calvin and Arminian are the big ones and in my own thinking the way I deal with that is say I just don't know how God can know me from the foundation of the earth and yet still give me the freedom to make the choice and walk away I can't explain that but I have texts that say both things my authority is the scripture and if I'm going to respond to the scripture there's got to be a place where i got to say God's smarter than me folks I can't explain that but they say both I think those things are all reconcilable or, or, or knowable. Okay, anyway, get off of that one on to the next one. Uh, chapter 3, verse... Uh, one, I skipped that one, okay. Terrible times in the last days shall be manifested in the uh, unsaved, hypocritically religious people who oppose the truth. Now, I got an article here that I think is horrendous. And this really rings my bell because I've seen this before. This is from uh, the Voice of the Martyrs. It's uh, dated February 8, 2013. Attacks by Muslim, radical Muslim groups like Boko Haram occur regularly. Attackers often sever the legs and arms of their victims with machetes, leaving them without a means to support their family. One patient, John, was a driver before he lost one of his legs. It's got a couple of pictures there of a couple of kids that had their legs chopped off. A couple of issues ago, there was a picture of a little baby girl, about three or so, that had her arm cut off because these Muslims are propagating their faith. That's the terrible times that will come in the last days. That's what we live with now. That's why we can't be passive. That's why we've got to be biblical men and women who live courageously, resist passivity, and stand for truth because that's wrong and it's going under, it's being swept under the covers because it's not politically correct to say that Islam is not a viable uh, Christian or any other kind of religion. Terrible times in the last day. Another illustration I have here of another popular thing is homosexuality. This is an article on the Internet dated, what's the date? February 8th also. Uh, My train wreck conversion as a leftist lesbian professor, I despised Christians. Then I somehow became one. The word, the word Jesus, stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. No matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and my wrath. As a university pres- professor, I uh, as a university professor, I tried. I tired of students who were seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Christians, in particular, were bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark, to end it rather than deepen it. Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial. It's a very interesting article. I'd encourage you to read it. Something else happened. Ken and his wife, Floy, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did not not, uh, book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such a conversation were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate. Vulnerable, he repented of his sins in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be their friends. The article goes on. This lady actually accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. Major conversion. Terrible times and gentle teaching converted her. She's part of the terrible times, but the gentle teaching that we looked at the end of uh, chapter 2 converted her. Now, that's the world that we live in, the terrible times. And we have hypocritically religious people who oppose truth. They're not just ignoring it. They oppose it. Are we willing to be passive and let this go? Are we going to be politically correct, like that uh, Dr. Carson was preaching to Obama and, and uh, Bush at the, the uh, White House prayer meeting? Are we going to be politically correct? Or are we going to stand and tell people, no, you're wrong? This is how Jesus Christ uh, teaches us to live. I suggest that we should do what Christ tells us to do and be passionate for Christ. The next slide is something that is, I wish it really wasn't in the Bible. Unfortunately, it is. 3, 10, and 13 read this way. Avoid, oops, that's too... 3 and 10 and 13. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. That is significant because Paul was stoned to death in Lystra. Timothy lived in that town. That was Timothy's hometown. We don't hear about Timothy back in Acts until after that. But small town America, you know when when a preacher gets killed. And that's what happened. Paul was resurrected. And that's what happened. And that's why he's bringing this to Timothy's attention. You know the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And this is the verse I don't want to have in the Bible. I want to cut this one out. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Have you been persecuted for truth? It says everyone that will live a godly life will be persecuted. That's in the context of presenting truth in the contrast of error. I I don't like that verse, but it's there, folks. That's why I think this is applying to more than just the pastors, more than the pastoral epistles. The next slide will bring up... Oh, no, it's on this slide. Never mind. Sorry. Go back. 3, 14, and 16 explains that Scripture is inspired by God. God. It explains salvation, and it's designed by God. Please look at that. It's designed by God to be confrontational. It's not, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to offend you, Mary, because I don't want to tell you that you're wrong. God designed it to be teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Unless you're teachable, teaching is confrontational. That's what God designed it for. And the reason was so that we could have a fulfilled life spiritually, so that we can be effective as Christians, that's much broader than just the pastor. That's all of us. That's why God designed it. And the next verse, actually, in, in chapter 4, the next slide, I should say, the next couple of verses, that, I think, is the key of this book. The next slide, please. That's the star. <laughs> this is, I think, the focal point of the entire book of 2 Timothy. I want to read it. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Again, God tells Timothy, he tells me, he tells you to be ready in season and out of season. To what? Preach the word, which I think is a parallel to teaching actually. I think we make too big a distinction between teaching and preaching in our culture, in our Christian culture. Rebuke correct and encourage when they got something right, <laughs> but do it accurately, do it with careful instruction. Yes, you're doing good because you recognize that, that uh, the God of Islam is not the God of, of Christianity. Give basis for that, give reasons, study apologetics, know why you believe what you believe, because that's the heartbeat of this whole book. The most powerful divine command is to preach the word, correct, rebuke and patiently encourage accurately when people turn from truth to stories taught by false teachers. That's the most powerful exhortation in Scripture, folks. It's calling on God the Creator, Jesus the mediator, His coming kingdom, and, and I mean his, his return and His coming kingdom. Don't be politically correct. That's what I think it means when it says be passionate for Christ. It's not an emotional fuzzy when I sit in my study all warm and cozy and having a cup of coffee and, and reading Psalm 50, 86 thinking about, oh God, thank you for your blessings. I do that. That is worship. But being passionate for Christ is correcting error. <laughs> and it's all around us. Are we scared to be faithful? The next slide is my takeouts. I think what we're supposed to take away from this, or I think God has impressed me with anyway, stand against political correctness. When I was down in Kansas, I knew a farmer really good, and uh, he said that he got to the point where he realized that making straight rows wasn't living the Christian life entirely. And he went to school and tried to know more about the Bible. He was just living out his Christian life and he thought part of that was Making straight rows. I think making a paint job good is good Christianity myself. I try to do my job as though I was honoring Christ. Everybody should. But that's not all of it. Stand against political correctness. Be passionate for Christ. Be a godly man or woman by resisting being passive, accepting responsibility, living courageously, and investing eternally. I forgot the guy's name, but that's not mine. That came from Tuesday night uh, men's group, men's fraternity. I changed C, living courageously. In the definition of manhood, it says leading courageously. But uh, living applies to both genders. That's what we need to do resist being passive, accept responsibility. I'm going to get some heat if I talk about truth. I'm going to get some heat if I stand for what's right. So will you. But live courageously and invest eternally, rally for Christ. Know, proclaim, and defend the Word of God. Because that's what God wants us to do. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Would you pray with me as the last slide comes up here, the message summary again. God wants Christians to faithfully stand for truth, even when it hurts. you pray with me? Thank you, God, that you are a God that loves us, loves the world, has died for all. We pray, Father, that we might patiently, kindly, with love, proclaim truth to those people that have been hurt, to those people who have been uh, taught wrong, to those people who have never heard about Jesus Christ. Pray that we might be quick to share the realities of our eternal destiny, the, the truth that you have blessed us with, with those around us. Allow our communities to grow in faith, and that we might all honor you. Thank you for this uh, word from your scripture and pray, Father, you might impact each of us with it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Now comes the eating part. Remember Nehemiah 8?